This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. Well, if you're in the car, stuck in traffic, kick those shoes off, relax. We've got an incredible show planned for you tonight. It is our last Only in Miami show until May 17th, and it is our last Only in Miami show at the old studios. We're moving to brand new, beautiful new studios for the May 17th show. The Salem Radio Network just announced the new studios opening today, and we're very excited and as always very excited to be on 880 The Biz. So we've got a great show for you tonight, too. We've got Tim Canova who is going to be with us via Skype on the program all the way up until the 40-minute mark tonight. He is a Democratic congressional candidate facing off against Debbie Wasserman Schultz in Dade and Broward County for the right to be your next U.S. congressman representing Bell Harbor, uh, Sunny Isles, Golden Isle, uh, Golden Beach, uh, Surfside, uh, also uh, Hollywood Beach, uh, Hallandale, Hallandale Beach, uh, all of those areas, um, out all the way west to Weston. So he's got all of southern Broward. And um, Tim is going to be with us for most of this hour. He is a leading progressive politician in Florida today, and he's facing a tremendous fight against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. We also have the Baboons, who are going to be playing their music throughout tonight's show. Their new album is coming out this Friday uh, I'm sorry, Saturday, this Saturday, uh, April 16th. It's called Spanglish, and we're going to hear the title track first. The Baboons will be debuting their CD during a Day at the Beach concert series. It's the North Beach Band Shell, and you can check it out. Uh, there's tickets for 20 pre-sale, 30 at the door, Saturday night, April 16th. Doors at 4 p.m. at the North Beach Band Shell. That's going to be a lot of fun throughout this evening. But right now, I've got just a moment to speak directly to you, the audience, about issues of importance that affect us in Miami, citywide, or sometimes beyond. And today, I'd like to leave my parting thoughts on the no Walmart in Midtown.com fight, which is coming to a head right now as we've discovered significant new information from the city of Miami, which has changed our perspective of what is going on in the multi-year quest to fight Walmart's illegal tactics in Midtown Miami. And uh, there's been a lot of developments. First of all, uh, we discovered this past week in an email from the city attorney herself, Victoria Mendez, 
that Walmart's uh, permit to build, number one, is frozen. Number two is illegal. You're not allowed to build a phased project like Walmart has if you have more than one piece of property. And what the city did was give Walmart permission to build on their neighbor's land. Actually, two neighbor's lands, two different neighbor's lands, both on each side of Walmart. And that's a big deal. You or I could not get permission to build on our neighbor's property from the city of Miami. But Walmart did. And it's a big problem. And the other problem that we've discussed on the program numerous times is how Walmart wants to take a third lane of traffic and place it into a two-lane street with two lanes of parallel parking next to their proposed Walmart design in Midtown Miami. And it's a terrible idea, which would change the character of the neighborhood by cutting off people who live in Midtown from the Wynwood neighborhood and vice versa. Those streets are already built exactly the way they are supposed to be built with tax money that we are paying $200 million worth that we, all of us, throughout South Florida are actually paying because it comes from tax revenues and it only pays for the bonds to build the roads, to build the sewers, to build the sidewalks in a place like Midtown. And if the system is abused there, it will change the character of the neighborhood and the bondholders will not be satisfied. The people who live there will become unhappy and it will impact our city in a terribly negative way, which is why we have fought so long and so hard. But the question remains, why did the city of Miami cooperate so closely with Walmart when Walmart is cheating? And we know that because Walmart sent a email to the city attorney herself claiming that everything was okay. They did not need to have ownership right or consent from either of their neighbors to start building on their both of their neighbors' properties. They sent out an email saying it. And then, months later, when one of the property owners complained, things stopped, and now Walmart's permit is frozen. They cannot get another permit. In fact, all they have permission to build is the world's shortest Walmart a foundation permit with no permission to build a building and in the foreseeable future, very little chance of getting there. Because is it really fair for Walmart to be given permission to build on its neighbor's land when its neighbor is a public entity, which we all own as citizens, and then to be given the shot to simply coerce their neighbors into going along with their plan? That doesn't seem fair to me. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Tim Tim Canova. He is a candidate for U.S. Congress in Miami-Dade County and Broward. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you, Grant. Nice to be with you. So, Tim, this is your second visit to the program, but your first since declaring your candidacy. So please tell our audience a little bit about yourself so that they know who you are, because the first time we just spoke about the TPP, which is a very complicated trade agreement that we're going to definitely get back to in this episode. But tell our audience a little bit about what they need to know about yourself, Tim Canova, candidate for Congress. Sure. I'm a law professor at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale. And I've been uh, a law professor for the past uh, 20 years. Um, I uh, My previous political experience includes working on Capitol Hill as a legislative aide to the late U.S. Senator Paul Songus, a Democrat from Massachusetts. And uh, I practiced law in New York for a time. And uh, since going into teaching, uh, I've been uh, writing and researching uh, on on international trade law issues, financial markets, Federal Reserve. Um, And uh, I got involved uh, in this race, uh, as you suggested, uh, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership issue was one of the issues that animated me uh, to run for this office. Okay. um, We're going to definitely get back to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but what are some of the other issues that interested you in running for office? Because it sounds like you're very, very well versed in banking and finance and law. But what are some of the other issues that affect your district that that spurred you to get into this race? Sure. Um, there's a common theme among these, in, uh, these issues. Uh, it, it became increasingly clear to me and to many others that my opponent, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, has been taking Uh, I was going to say hundreds of thousands of dollars, but in the course of her career, it's been millions of dollars from big corporate special interests. And she's been raising this money both through her campaign committee as well as her her PAC, her political action committee. Uh, And and I should also add bringing in even more money uh, through the Democratic National Committee in her um, position as the chair of the committee. Well, let's – okay. So for our audience out there who may not know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz – who is a congressman from South Broward and North Dade. She is actually the chair of the Democratic National Committee, right? Yes, yes. She, and and as she, while she's been the head of the Democratic National Committee, uh, the fortunes of the Democratic Party have not been all that bright. Uh, the Democrats, our party, has lost uh, dozens of uh, Senate seats and House seats. Uh, we lost control of the Senate and uh, lost more House seats than any time in many decades. Well, that's kind of a big problem, but what's the root cause of that problem? Well, I think there's a lot. I do think it's the kind of politics that Wasserman Schultz practices. You know, you could you could uh, raise money from lots of corporations and it might feel good in the short term. But if you're sacrificing a policy agenda uh, to corporate interests, a policy agenda that harms uh, working families, ordinary uh, Americans, uh, that's not going to be rewarded at the polls. So, I mean, is this really a problem where she's, you're saying she's kind of grown apart from the district? Like she's really more concerned with national problems than local ones? 
Um, I think she's more attuned to big national corporate interests than to local concerns. I, I think that's the way she's drifted. I think some of the problems we have here in Florida's 23rd Congressional District are local and some are national. But across the board, whether they're local or national, we have a representative who's been ignoring our interests and instead indulging the interests of really giant corporations. And I can tell you some of these issues where it has played out. She's taken a lot of money from Wall Street banks and other financial institutions, and she has voted... Uh, to prevent the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. This is the bureau that President Obama set up to prevent this bureau from regulating against racial redlining in auto loans. Um, and then more recently, she's been pushing a Republican bill that would prevent the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau from regulating payday loans. Well, let's, been- let's talk about each of those issues. So mm-hmm. for those who may not know out there, redlining is the practice of banks or financial institutions looking at the map and drawing red lines and saying, this neighborhood is on the other side of the tracks, we won't lend here. So what's going on with redlining that your opponent doesn't want to fix? Why Why is this happening that she doesn't want to fix it? Because this is a problem that's happened a lot in the mortgage world, which is what I do for a day job and our sponsor, Morningside Mortgage, as well. And it's been stamped uh, I, out there. I haven't seen a very coherent or compelling argument uh, for her position, and she certainly hasn't articulated one. Uh, I read a, a, an industry uh, lobbyist uh, making the argument that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's attempts to regulate against redlining were heavy-handed, uh, that they weren't scientific enough, that they become overly inclusive and uh, end up fining uh, these uh, financial institutions uh, uh, too high. Uh, but that's ex- exactly what you'd expect from an industry uh, lobbyist. Uh, you know, the, the Bureau was set up for good reason. Uh, it, it's... It, an agency that's been tasked to protect consumers around the country and uh, not to leave it just to the states. When you leave it to the states, sometimes you can have a race to the bottom where protection of consumers gets watered down. And uh, that certainly seems what's been happening. Uh, There's all kinds of abuses of auto uh, lending uh, that uh, has been reported uh, where uh, the lenders have kill switches and turn the car off uh, while it's on the highway. Uh, there have been some terrible stories in this regard. Uh, this is uh, an area where we should have some kind of minimum standards. And, uh, you know, the debate certainly seems skewed uh, by members of Congress who are taking a lot of money from these financial interests. So I don't know if you heard about this, but Wells Fargo Bank... Uh, agreed to pay $1.2 billion to settle the government's claims recently that it wrote bad FHA mortgages. Mm -hmm. And one person at the bank was actually identified as being responsible for the entire program. And it was a fraud. And they didn't prosecute that person at all. And Wells Fargo has, aside from the, the cash penalty, faced no fine. Uh, This is a routine, Grant. Uh, It's been big bank after big bank has been paying uh, civil penalties 
for the past seven or eight years uh, collectively in the tens of billions of dollars. Um, uh, and yet nobody has really uh, uh, been criminally prosecuted at any of these big banks for, for all of this wrongdoing. Uh, there's been a revolving door uh, between the Justice Department in Washington, D.C. and the big law firms that represent these banks uh, at the very highest levels. And this is exactly the kind of inside uh, politics as usual that voters are just tired of. They want change. They do want change. Um, let's talk about another topic briefly before we go to commercial, uh, well, not commercial break, but our music break here. Uh, there's a topic that's at the tip of everybody's mind, uh, especially people who have thought about the, the Flint, Michigan disaster. Um, but there's also a water disaster going on in Florida. How can you help support clean drinking water in Florida, which is all tied to Everglades projects and management of Lake Okeechobee if you're elected uh, to Congress? Well, uh, when I'm elected to Congress, I, I will not have taken any money from the big sugar interests that have been helping to fund Debbie Wasserman Schultz's campaigns over the years. Um, I certainly could speak out and stand up for clean drinking water in a, in a more credible way than my opponent. Uh, I, I also think that uh, when you look at the kinds of infrastructure investments that are needed in the coming years, uh, not just in Florida's 23rd, but all across the country. Uh, the needs are massive, and uh, it includes not just roads and bridges, uh, but uh, seaports and uh, water works, uh, sewage treatment facilities. Uh, and where are we going to get the money to rebuild this kind of infrastructure? I, I, I don't really hear much of anything coming from my opponent or from uh, – politicians who are in the pockets of big private financial institutions. And and that's because their way of dealing with these problems is to pretty much kick the can down the road and have our federal, state, and local governments borrow more money in the bond markets and keep paying high interest rates and paying two or three times over for the projects over the course of the, the bonds. Uh, and, it, you know, it's unfortunate. The, the answer is this is not rocket science. You can just look to American history and see how uh, the greatest generation, for instance, built up this country's infrastructure. We had a, a, a massive uh, infrastructure bank at the federal level. It was called the Reconstruction Finance Corporation. And, you know, we've had presidential candidates from our party, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, campaign uh, uh, on the plank of creating a federal infrastructure project, uh, a federal infrastructure bank, and and yet it still hasn't happened, and we're we're lagging behind the rest of the world, China, Germany, you name it. There are many many countries that have had these kinds of infrastructure banks for years. It's a way of channeling credit and capital into these kinds of projects, and instead we kick the can down the road. Our infrastructure de deteriorates. And it's the next generation that's going to be left with with a lot of uh, a lot of problems. Well, that is a big problem. And on that note, we're going to take a very short break. Mono P, what are we going to be listening to? We're going to hear a tune Spanglish from our brand new album, a tune called "This Is Me" from our brand new album Spanglish, and this is a rocker. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. 
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Democratic candidate for Congress District 23, which covers northern Miami-Dade County, northeast Miami-Dade County, and all of South Broward, west out to Weston, Tim Canova. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Well, thank you, Grant. It's great to be with you tonight. So, Tim, please tell our audience, uh, when is there going to be a debate between yourself and your opponent, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, before the August primary for District 23's congressional seat? Grant, I wish I could answer that question. I'm ready, willing, and able to debate my opponent uh, at any uh, reasonable time. Uh, I sent a letter uh, to Debbie Wasserman Schultz last week. Uh, I sent it to her campaign headquarters, another copy to her political action committee, and a third copy of the letter to her address at the Democratic National Committee. And then I bumped into her uh, on Sunday at a uh, Broward County Democratic Party uh, headquarters launch. And I asked her to her face. Uh, she said she hasn't read the letters. Uh, she, I uh, offered to hand her a, a hard copy and she wouldn't take it. And uh, I asked her straight to her face uh, when we could debate and she would not give an answer. Uh, so uh, if... Her record as DNC chair in the scheduling of presidential debates is any indication. Uh, she's probably going to try to uh, dodge the debates. And um, you Well, know, that's a big I accusation. So you're saying that Debbie Wasserman Schultz wants to simply dodge all debates before this competitive primary? Well, I certainly hope that's not the case. Uh, uh, but certainly this is a concern that that is what she might be uh, angling to do, to not have of any debates. And uh, I've proposed a series of uh, six debates uh, to take place uh, uh, really throughout the district at a union hall, a university, um, uh, a number of other uh, key locations uh, uh, and, and you could say constituencies uh, around the district um, uh, and to cover a, a range of issues. Uh, I, I mentioned having one at a high school, a religious and interfaith community center uh, maybe one at, at, at a parks or, or wetlands. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're still waiting to, to, <laughs> for some response. And uh, I also spoke with one of her uh, staffers at, at the same uh, headquarters launch on Sunday. And, and that staffer did indicate that she had read the letter, uh, but uh, would not give any kind of uh, an indication of, of whether they are even considering a debate. Well, let me be the first to offer time at our new Salem radio station, uh, which is going to be over in the Blue Lagoon area beginning May 17th for both yourself and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, your opponent, to come on down to the studio if you'd like to have a live broadcast radio debate. The offer is now open, all right? I appreciate that. Well, let me ask you this, Grant. Sure. I, I'm sorry to, to talk such details on the air, but if, if we have uh, some debates here in the district, uh, would you be able to come out and, and uh, cover or, or broadcast the debates from a location within Florida's 23rd? I would absolutely volunteer a remote only in Miami show on a Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. 
for the District 23 debate. I think it's an important debate to have. And from my experience in politics, a good primary debate means that you're going to have a strong candidate no matter who wins in that district. And it's good for the party to discuss the party's ideas, right? Well, I agree. Uh, the irony is, of course, that uh, because of the way these congressional districts have been gerrymandered, that this is a very safe Democratic district. Uh, it, it almost doesn't matter if we get a strong candidate or a weak candidate. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very safe Democratic district. Uh, that said, I still think that the voters in this district deserve the strongest possible candidate and the best possible representative in this district. So let's talk about one of the issues that you've published about on Medium. And for those of you out there who like reading, uh, Medium.com is like, uh, let's say, Twitter for much longer ideas than 140 characters. And uh, our guest, Tim Canova, who's running for the Democratic uh in the Democratic primary for District 23 uh, to run uh, for Florida's congressman to go to Washington, D.C. He's on Medium.com. And I'm going to read from from one of your articles here. It's an issue statement. My thoughts on the drug war and mass incarceration. I have opposed the misguided drug war for many years. We should not be locking up people for using the same drugs that have been used by at least the last three American presidents and according to many surveys by a majority of the American people. As an activist and law professor, I've been involved in the grassroots movement to decriminalize drugs. So how can your candidacy provide a contrast to members of the district who are looking for something different than what the current uh, occupant, the incumbent, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, is doing about mass incarceration. What is Miss Wasserman Schultz doing to end mass incarceration? Well, the answer is not very much. Um, now, first of all, you take a look at uh, the drug war, which is one of the real um, contributing factors to mass incarceration. So many folks are picked up on uh, drug charges, and quite often it's just possession uh, of illicit drugs um, that lead them into the criminal justice system. And we see these drug laws are being enforced in a very racially discriminatory uh, way that uh, black and brown uh, uh, people, basically African Americans and uh, Latinos and Native Americans, um, are arrested and incarcerated and prosecuted at much higher rates than white folks, uh, even though the uh, rates of using these drugs are uh, no higher in these uh, minority communities. Uh, so the drug war has really been a failure. And I think people in this district and throughout the state recognize it. And exhibit A of that uh, would be the medical marijuana referendum from 2014. 58% of the voters in the entire state of Florida, and there are a lot of red counties in this state, but 58% of Florida voters voted for medical marijuana. It needed 60% to pass, so it fell short. And here's Debbie Wasserman Schultz representing the most liberal district in the state, where in our district, close to 70% reportedly uh, voted for the medical marijuana referendum. And she is uh, has dug her heels in against it. She has called marijuana a gateway drug. She has spoken out of, uh, uh, against uh, medical marijuana just uh, uh, at the beginning of my campaign a few, uh, you know, three months ago. Um, so at the same time, and The Intercept has published um, a report about this, uh, Wasserman Schultz has been taking uh, tens of thousands of dollars 
from the uh, from political action committees funded by alcohol companies. And uh, she's been taking money from private prison companies. And she has been supporting private detention centers, including the ICE facility that was proposed for Southwest Ranches. So, you know, she can say uh, whatever she wants, but her practices certainly uh, uh, reflect a drug warrior mentality and agenda. Well, it sounds like you're telling me that your opponent is more conservative than the district she lives in, really. Well, I think so. Uh, you know, there are some issues where I agree very strongly with her uh, on uh, women's reproductive freedoms, uh, on uh, pay equity for women, on uh, equality for gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. Uh, I have no problem with her there. I applaud her for her positions there. But you start getting to any issue where corporate interests are involved, and she's decidedly more conservative and more pro-corporate than her district. Well, but let's... she's She's managed to keep it quiet. That's what's impressive. Let's talk about the issue that first brought you onto the Only in Miami show, the the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's also called the TPP. Um, so your position is, I would imagine, different than your opponent's position on the TPP. But first, just give a very short explanation for our audience what the TPP means to them and why your sure. position is different. Sure. We all remember NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, in which right. the U.S. entered into this free trade agreement that included Mexico. And first Canada. time you had yeah. really a first world country in a free trade agreement with a third world country. And not surprisingly, that creates all kinds of incentives for businesses to outsource jobs, to, to actually relocate factories over the border, to take advantage of uh, a regulatory environment that is much um, less strict. Uh, the labor standards and environmental standards south of the border um, uh, attracts business and undermines American jobs. And then we, we, we went even further by allowing uh, the People's Republic of China into the World Trade Organization and giving them permanent normal trade relations status. Okay, well, the, the NAFTA, yeah. so, so everybody's very familiar with NAFTA. So what would TPP do? TPP has been called NAFTA on steroids. It would essentially extend the same kind of uh, trading relations, a free trade zone, um, to a dozen countries on the Pacific Rim. Uh, so it would include, uh, it, in the Western Hemisphere, it would include the United States, Canada, and Mexico, uh, and a couple of countries uh, uh, in South America. And then in Asia, it would include Japan and Vietnam and Brunei. I mean, these are countries, especially Vietnam and Brunei, uh, that are um, third world countries with very repressive regimes uh, to, to be uh, entering into these kind of trade relations with these countries will certainly result in the outsourcing of uh, tens of thousands of Florida jobs. And, and across the country, the estimates are, are in the millions of American jobs will be lost. And a lot of the loss of these jobs won't just be in manufacturing now. They'll, they'll be in services as well. And it becomes a blueprint. Uh, the, the administration has been negotiating a similar type of uh, free trade agreement with um, the European Union, uh, known as the Trans-Atlantic Trade and Investment Partnership Agreement, the TTIP. So let's pivot to another campaign issue. And this is one that I think anybody who's kind of a political wonk might have heard about. Um, I'm reading on your Medium account that you guys were actually denied access to the Democratic Party voter file. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, that's right. Um, that's something that also happened to Bernie Sanders' campaign for a while, right? And it raised it, it caused a a big uh, outrage as well, and then was rescinded. Why did that happen to your campaign? Why was your campaign sanctioned by the Democratic Party itself? And what was the end result? Well, we were told by the Florida Democratic Party not to take it personally, that this is a policy that they have with anyone who's running in a Democratic primary against an incumbent Democrat, um, that they will favor the incumbent Democrat over a Democratic challenger in a primary by denying uh, access to the van voter database and software to the challenger. And I asked the reasons why, and I was told that it was simply to protect the incumbent, uh, that they believe their incumbents are doing wonderful work, so therefore they're going to protect their incumbents. My response was, I can understand why you want to protect the, your incumbents uh, from uh, Republicans in a general election, but I don't understand why they would tip the scales to protect incumbents in a Democratic primary. That Democratic Party voters... Uh, deserve uh, a real choice in the primaries. And if somebody's uh, got the courage and uh, uh, to, to step forward and, and challenge an incumbent in a primary, uh, they should have a, a level playing field. And, and the response I got from the Florida party was, well, uh, this is a policy that uh, I'm sure you will appreciate if you're ever elected. Uh, so, uh, you did know, they we, relent or, or well, they, they finally did. We, we were preparing a lawsuit and at the same time, uh, the Florida democratic progressive caucus headed by Susan Smith sent a very pointed open letter to Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, you know, Wasserman Schultz as the head of the DNC has something to do with this because the DNC is intimately involved with the Florida democratic party in um, in, in the administration of this uh, voter database. And uh, the protest started growing uh, nationally. I know that Wasserman Schultz was up in New York to give a talk on Long Island, and she was confronted with a crowd of protesters who were holding signs, uh, including signs uh, promoting our campaign, which was a surprise to me. Uh, our campaign was not even aware of this protest until after it happened. And the party finally backed down and said they would make an exception for us in this one particular case, but that uh, in other races, challengers would still be denied the, the voter list, which uh, I, I thanked them for, for uh, uh, giving us access. But I, uh, at the same time that I thanked them, I, I was really very critical uh, that uh, we're an exception and that they're not giving other challengers, other Democrats, uh, access to the list. So, Tim, we've got a couple of minutes left. And I wanted to give you a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes, to speak directly to our audience, to tell them your message, because you've answered all of our questions and then some. But what is your message directly to the voters that you're seeking to speak with in Florida's 23rd District? Thank you, Grant. I appreciate that. Uh, our message is a message of a different kind of politics. And uh, we started three months ago without any money and without any endorsements. And in three months, we've raised over half a million dollars in the first three months. And we did it without taking a single penny from any corporation or political action committee uh, um, controlled by a corporation or any of their super PACs. Um, we raised that money uh, in 26,000 individual contributions 
with an average contribution size of $20. And these are normal, hardworking people all across the country and in the state of Florida who are clicking on the donate button. They're going to our website at timcanova.com. They're checking out the issues at that website and they're making donations. And again, an average donation of $20. And to give you some perspective, during those that three-month period, the first quarter of this year, we got more than four times the number of donations nationwide as Wasserman Schultz. And in the state of Florida, we received more donations in the state of Florida than Wasserman Schultz. So she's had every advantage, a dozen years in Congress, name recognition, and all of that, the power of incumbency, and yet this grassroots movement has been able to get more supporters, more donations here in the state of Florida than she has been able to. So this is a real progressive grassroots campaign where ordinary folks are stepping up and helping us out. We have gotten the, the endorsements of uh, some key unions, the National Nurses Union, uh, the Communication Workers of America, and, and now the Transport Workers Local here uh, in, in South Florida. Uh, so we are going to continue to run this kind of a aggressive grassroots campaign. I believe we are going to uh, see a tremendous upset come August. We need folks to be out this summer. People have to be registered Democrat by August 1st uh, to vote for us in the August 30th primary. Uh, early voting begins before that, of course, and absentee ballots it, it begin even in July. Uh, but I would urge people to go to our website, see what our campaign's about. We've got uh, some major issue statements posted on the website about reforming the political system, uh, uh, about uh, reversing income and wealth inequality, about addressing climate change and ending the drug war. And again, they could just go to timcanova.com uh, and click on the issues page to read about what, what our campaign is about. That's T-I-M-C-A-N-O-V-A. Tim, where can they find you on Twitter? Oh, uh, I think it is Tim underscore Twitter. Let me double check that. Yes, yes. Tim underscore Canova on Twitter. And yes. uh, on Facebook, your Facebook uh, page is called? Uh, Tim Canova for Congress is the Facebook page. And uh, I'll say also to give you an idea of how well we're doing and what kind of a grassroots movement this is, uh, normal congressional campaign is lucky to just get a few thousand donations during the course of an entire year. And I said already, the first quarter, we got 26,000. We're now up to well over 30,000 donations. And then uh, a normal congressional campaign is lucky to get three or 4,000 uh, Facebook followers. And I think we're up over 45,000 now. I know. So, it's amazing. When we actually yeah. tweeted out uh, the interview that we did back on July 6th of last year, mm -hmm. um, it got over 2,000 plays in the first 24 hours after we shared it again when you uh -huh. announced your campaign. Uh -huh. And your Twitter account went from like a hundred to like way over a thousand in about a day. Yeah, yeah. It it is. It's exciting to see the kind of support we're getting, and you know, of course, a lot of it is um, because uh, uh, Wasserman Schultz is such a national figure. But it's a real indictment over her, her leadership uh, of her leadership that so many people are taking a look at our campaign and they like what they see. Uh, you know, people. Uh, um, do their homework. People uh, look at these uh, campaigns with a critical eye, and they see that it's not just anybody challenging Wasserman Schultz, but it's somebody who's got a lifelong record of political activism 
uh, and progressive grassroots politics. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. It's been my pleasure to bring you back on to this last Only in Miami show before our short, short spring hiatus. Well, thank you, Grant. And I, I hope we'll be back uh, on the air together, uh, maybe uh, broadcasting a debate uh, sometime later in the spring. That would be wonderful. <laughs> and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. At the top of the stairs and stares at his sister, practicing his zombie steps in front of the mirror. She wishes that she were old enough to go with her, to go dance the night away. Maybe let a boy kiss her. How long will she have to wait before she can hit the time and stay out late? As she reaches the dance floor, she can feel the beat in her feet. As she picks a partner, she can tell that they've never seen anything quite like her. How long will she have to dream before she can be the reigning summer queen? Soon come Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back with Mono P. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Grant. From the Baboons. Thank you for coming into the studio and hanging out with us for this hour. Uh, it's been a lot of fun listening to the music. Thank you very much. I mean, it, it is definitely Miami music. It was, you know, written and recorded all right here in the 305 and all over the place in the 305 as well. And a bunch of studios, so definitely a Miami project. And we've got Majika, lead singer, on the line with us. Majika? Hi there. How are you tonight? Good. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love listening to your guys' stuff. And what's it going to be like for the day at the beach? Well, there's going to be some awesome bands that night. We're sharing the stage with Third World, which is the reggae ambassadors, amazing reggae band. And we are also sharing the stage with Uma Galera, Big Harvest, and Bob Marley's grandchildren, Joe Mercer Marley and Johan Marley. All right. There's also uh, DJ Gravy and Tom LaRoque, and the lovely... Eva Ruiz will be painting live that night. She she painted the cover of our album, Spanglish. 
So how many years in the making was this album Spanglish? Well, it, it's about a year and a half uh, of recording, but I would say, you know, um, probably about a dozen years or maybe actually some of the songs go back 20 years. Um, so, so some of these are just unrecorded uh, ditties. Some of them, yeah, go back quite a bit. and uh, But most of them, I would say, were, record, were written between, you know, about 2007, 2008 and, uh, you know, about, a year, about two years ago. Okay, so so it's been a couple of years brewing. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. It's going to be Saturday, April 16th. The doors open at 4 p.m. What time do you guys go on? We go on at 6.45, and we play till 8 p.m. We're doing a 75-minute set. Nice long and, set. Um, and then the headliner goes on at 8.30, Third World. Right before us at 5.30 is Joe Mercer Marley and Johan Marley. So if you want to see Bob Marley's grandchildren, come make sure you get there by 5.30. And Big Harvest is at 4 p.m. and Uma Galera is at 2.30 p.m. Oh, so it actually starts at 2.30. It's doors open at 2. There's going oh. to be DJs playing in between all the sets. Oh, okay. That's great. So it's really a day-long event if you want to make a, a day out of it, right? A day yeah. at the beach. Absolutely. It right is a whole day at the beach. <laughs> Beautiful venue. Yeah. Kid-friendly venue. You can bring scooters for your kids to ride around on, you know? And it's uh, brownpapertickets.com if you want to buy a ticket to a day at the beach this Saturday. Uh, doors open at 2 o'clock. Mono P, what's the next track that we've got queued up? Well, we're going to hear uh, a tune called Cebolla which is the 11th tune on the record. Already. is the only in Miami show and we're here with the baboons and I wanted to listen to another track because we got a few minutes left and some great music here so Mono P what's our next track well let's hear a tune called Alborota what's that about well that's kind of about uh, you know a young lady who's attracted to the music to the rumba she's got to go for it
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And we're here with the Baboons live in studio discussing their album release coming up this Saturday, April 16th, a day at the beach. You can get your tickets at brownpapertickets.com. Mono P, thank you so much for joining us in studio. Thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. You guys always have amazing music whenever you're in here or when Michael Mood is here. The missing member of the band. Uh, so, Majika, uh, I think we picked out another track. It's called Tiki Tiki. Can you tell our audience a little bit about this song? Well, um, you might know some people that are that get Tiki Tiki sometimes. They get pretty particular about certain things. And sometimes the woman is just like, you know, stop getting Tiki Tiki and just dance with me. Shut already. up and dance with me, baby. <laughs> Stop getting tiki tiki. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and we're here live in studio with the Baboons who create this wonderful music. Mono P, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. So tell our audience one more time, where can they go to see the CD release party of Spanglish? It's a, a day at the beach concert series, North Beach Band Show in Miami Beach, Saturday, April 16th. And doors open at 2. We go on about 6.30 with Third World. Majika, tell our audience real briefly, what is this next song and last song for the evening, Sugar, Sugar Cane. Cane, all about? Oh, well, Sugar Cane is about a lover that's sweet as Sugar Cane. Say no more. This is the Only in Miami show. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. And thank you so much for having us. It's great to be here. Uh, you can check you. out so more. We uh, hope we invite everyone to come out and join us. We're very excited to be releasing our third album, and 
Thank you so much, and congratulations on getting married this weekend. Thank you very much, Majika. So we've just got a few seconds left, but you can check out these guys and everybody that's playing at A Day on the Beach at www.brownpapertickets.com. And this is all we've got for the Only in Miami show for you tonight. I want to thank our guest, Tim Canova, for joining us tonight. And to both of the baboons and to everybody that's helped make the Only in Miami show successful over the last two and a half years. We'll be back from hiatus March 17th, Monday night, 7 to 8 p.m. And back as always. This is the Only in Miami show.